in Germany, uh, a part of the KMC, the Kaiserslautern military community, uh, for all the bases and everybody around there. Uh, and so it was a really sweet time to get to go and visit and travel around and see things, but then also I got to preach there for them. And it was just a really sweet church, about 150 U.S. military personnel and their families, and uh, it was just a, a neat church to get to, to go and, and worship with and bless. Uh, there was everybody from like a 19-year-old dental hygienist that I met, you know, newly enlisted, all the way up to a two-star general who's over all Air Force operations in Europe and North Africa. We're all just worshiping together, and, uh, and we, we worship the Lord uh, in the Spirit, and it was a joy. Uh, I missed you, but uh, I sent them our greetings and blessings from us. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a special time and great to get over there, and I, I ate plenty of potato pancakes at schnitzel, so it was, uh, I'm, I'm well-fed as well. And, uh, and, you know, while we were gone, the kids were here with Meredith's parents, and the stomach bug went through the house. So uh, it was nice to miss that, you know, how convenient timing. Yeah, thanks, Nana and Papa. I appreciate it. If you want to open in Scripture to Isaiah chapter 53 today, we are talking about Christmas. We're talking about the coming of Christ. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm reading out of the Pew Bible that's in front of you. The page number is 650 if you're following along with the Pew Bible that's either in front of you or if you're up in the balcony, it's underneath you. Isaiah chapter 53. I like a good mystery. Do you? This is why the vast majority of novels published are all mysteries. Because it's nice to have a little bit of mystery to try and sort something out uh, and to think things through. What we come to do today in Scripture is a mystery revealed. In fact, before I read to you from Isaiah 53, I'm going to read to you from a different point in Scripture where Isaiah 53 comes up awfully important. Here it is, the word of the Lord. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This is Philip, one of the early disciples. And said, get up and go south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem, and he was sitting in his chariot on the way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. You're to understand how important this person is over the entire treasury of this great queen and this great Ethiopian empire, which was vast at the time. And he goes to Jerusalem to worship. You're not supposed to understand that he is Jewish, but rather that he's the kind of person who travels and worships gods as he sees and is looking to know the truth about God. And so he picks up a copy of Jewish texts on his way home. And while he's there, he's reading, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. But as the story says, he doesn't understand it. So verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard the reading of the prophet Isaiah and he said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, there's a mystery. He's reading something, but how can he understand it until somebody explains it to him? Now, the scripture that he was reading is this, like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep is silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, is his judge, or justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 
And so the official said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that very scripture. As they're traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. What is to keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the court official did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. This, this court official, this high official, has gone around traveling and worshiping as seems to be his practice, and he's reading something he can't understand about this, this servant who is suffering it's not light reading what he's reading. This this servant who is suffering. And who is this servant supposed to be? The person writing it? Isaiah? Somebody else? He needs somebody to reveal the mystery to him. But the mystery is revealed to him by God himself. See, when we use the term mystery, a lot of times what we mean is something that's mysterious, unknowable, something that's maybe a little spooky, you know, or a little... it's. There's, there's fog around on the scene, and it's dark, and everything's mysterious. But when the Bible uses the word mystery, it doesn't mean hidden. It means something that was hidden, but is now revealed. See, our God is a God who is not mysterious. Our God is a God who is revealing of himself. God wants to be known. So the mystery, whenever we talk about mystery in Scripture... It is what wasn't known, but is now made known, has been revealed to us. The mystery of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ himself was God and came down and died on the cross for our sins. Perhaps you should think about mystery in Scripture, like uh, if you went to a fancy restaurant and the food was covered, and somebody, you know, there's a cover over your meal, and somebody brings it out to you and opens it up, and it's revealed. So, so this doesn't happen anymore. Really, if somebody has your food covered and then reveals it to you, where are you? Yeah, you're in the hospital, all right? And uh, <laughs> let's be honest. If the food's covered, and if, so let's say you're at the hospital, how about? Someone brings you a dish, walks up to you, and then opens it and reveals the mystery. How exciting is it, the truth? Yeah, yeah. The, risk, the mystery is revealed, and immediately you think, i got to get out of here. It's time to go home. <laughs> Where is Chick-fil-A when you need it? This is what it's like in Scripture when there's a mystery, because God is not a God who hides himself. God is a God who reveals himself. So we come to our passage today, Isaiah 53, and what we read is a God who is joyfully and beautifully revealing himself to us. Unlike I hate to say that if any one of you prepares hospital food or has had a particularly good experience with hospital food, but unlike that, the mystery is always great joy because God is always good to us. Let's pray together and let's read our passage for today, Isaiah 53. Father God, I thank you that you speak so clearly to us. I thank you that you are so good to us. I thank you that your desire is that we should know you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53, the prophet says, Who has believed what we have heard? 
To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him as stricken, as strucken down by God and as afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at uh, he was with a rich man at his death, because he had not done or because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he interceded for the rebels. This is the word of the Lord today. It's, it's beautiful and it's powerful in the way that it's complex and it goes back and forth on what it's saying. That he was wounded, but his wounds healed other people. That there were rebels, and yet he was the one dying for rebels in their rebellion. The passage reveals much, but, I mean, you wouldn't fault this court official if he's reading this passage saying, I got nothing. What is this even supposed to mean? Could somebody explain it? And yet this God who spoke through Isaiah just like he wanted to also provided for that court official an interpreter by the Holy Spirit, someone who would explain to him, because this God is not hiding himself. This God is a revealing God who wants to be known. So then all that's left for us today is, what is God revealing about himself to us? What is God revealing You know, you wouldn't, again, you would be surprised, or you wouldn't be surprised, rather, if you took this to just be all bad news. I mean, it's awfully rough, isn't it? Whatever's happening to this suffering servant, you don't want it to be you. If you're trying to say, who is this guy? Is it the writer? Is it somebody else? Really, all you want is, I don't want that to be me. Could it be somebody else who is going through all this terrible stuff and being assailed by wicked people? But it's not really about the difficulty that's happening. What's really happening 
is about the glorification of Christ. The suffering, as Scripture teaches, is necessary, but what this passage is about Christ being glorified and lifted up, that this God is worth worshiping because this God is the kind of God who's not afraid to get his hands dirty, but who comes down and does the work of our salvation for us when we cannot. This, this God is worthy of glory, and so this God will be glorified. So you wouldn't be surprised if somebody's reading this saying, gosh, this is bad news. Because that's true until you get down to perhaps about verse 10, where it's the Lord's will he should be crushed, and yet it is by him being crushed that God's good pleasure is arrived at, which is the salvation of many. That he, this one should be lifted up, that Christ's name should be glorified, because he is the one who is willing to make sacrifice for us. What is revealed? That Jesus Christ is glorified above all names. What else is revealed today? Well, there's something revealed about us too, isn't there? See, Scripture is good not just at revealing who God is to us, but it's good at revealing who we are. The passage says, we all have gone astray like sheep. It is in our very nature to know what is good and to still not do it. Perhaps you today know that you live in this spot to know what is good and to know what is right and to still say, I'm out, I want to do something else. The passage has our names written on it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has gone our own direction. And the Lord punished him for all of our sin. The hearts of many are revealed here. And what's revealed about our hearts is that there's a little bit of failure just right at the center of all of us, isn't there? There's a little bit of, what do you want to call it, failure in our hearts? There's a brokenness there for each of us. Even the things that we desire aren't good. Gosh, if only we could want right, then maybe we could go about doing right. But our hearts are broken, and so in us is a great brokenness. In us is failure. In us is sin. In us is, we can call it what it is, evil in the hearts of all of us. We're, we're not all right, but broken to the core. And yet, he is good on our behalf. What's revealed here is a salvation for all people, that many should come to him. And, and what's the cost of us being healed of our afflictions? His wounds. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are forgiven. There's more than one thing going on here. There is forgiveness for sins, but there is also healing for sinfulness. There is restoration happening. What's revealed in this passage? But God's plan, and that God's plan is unifying us with God. If you miss that piece, you miss all that Christianity is. That there's a God who is good, and his desire is that we should know him and be brought into a relationship with him. That we should have what is good and that we should have eternal life in him. This God is a God who desires unification and us being brought together. A peace that happens only in him. What's revealed here? That this God's desire is no longer to call us servant, but to call us friend be brought in to being with him. It's this beautiful passage in which there's contradictions, in which there's 
things that seem to go against each other, but as you read it, and if you read it in light of who Jesus Christ is, that the glorified God of everything is also the humbled servant who is then glorified because of what he has done, if you can read it in this light, then you can read the beauty of it, that it's God's desire that Christ should bear your sins for you. There is nothing in God but good for you, and he wants nothing in you Martin Luther once said, God doesn't find something good in us worth praising, but he will put into you what is good and worth praising. He himself will be the one who comes to us and puts something good inside of us. So what should we do today, given that this passage is here like this? What's the response? Well, the Ethiopian court official, he knows what the response is. What does he do? He says to Philip, well, let's just stop right here. That's enough. I, I, what you, can, why don't I get baptized? There's some water over there. Let's just hop in and do it. And so he is. He becomes a believer, and he takes the faith in Jesus Christ to Ethiopia. There are many churches in Ethiopia today and in the region that was that great Ethiopian kingdom, including Sudan and various other countries. It's old, old Christian groups and faiths who trace their belief back to this good news that spreads like this even from the beginning. So what should we do today? Well, first of all, we should believe it. Number one thing to do today is to believe this. Are you familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? If you're not, my childhood was better than your childhood. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Calvin Hobbes, it's not too late for you. I can, I'm an evangelist of many things, and this is one of them. I can convert you to Calvin and Hobbes as well uh, today. I love Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes is a story about a boy named Calvin and his very real tiger named Hobbes. However, to everyone who's not Calvin, Hobbes appears as simply a stuffed animal. So the idea is that Hobbes is real if you believe in him, but he's just a stuffed animal if you don't. This is the way a lot of people think about Christianity. All right, maybe it's real to you. Oh, you believe in it, so fair enough. It, it does good things for you, and it helps you be grateful, and everybody needs gratitude, so maybe it's just good out there. But this is not the way Christianity is. It's true whether you believe it or not. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus Christ has appointed a day when he'll return and set right all wrongs, and the only reason he delays is because he is so patient towards you. So great is the love of God that he would be patient for you all these years and all these days so that you too could have an opportunity to put your trust in him. This is the great revelation. God has good planned for you and want good, wants good for you. As we say, you might think we are patiently waiting on Christ, but we're not. Christ is patiently waiting on you. Come along, friend, hurry up. Turn from your sins and trust God. But you should also know, as we talk about mystery today, that our sin can, how should we say this? Our sins can enshroud, re-enshroud the mystery revealed. What you knew and could see so clearly suddenly becomes vague and hazy and it's because if we do not turn away from sin but keep them in our lives, then sin tends to draw us away from Christ and 
recover what God wants to reveal and has revealed to us. Another way of saying this is you can't believe for very long if you're not willing to also obey him. But if you obey Christ, it will become very clear to you very quickly that all of it's true. God is the one revealing mysteries. We are the one trying to cover up the truth because it's inconvenient to the sin that we want to keep in our life. Today, when you hear the word of the Lord, don't harden your hearts, but believe and turn from your sins and know that life is good and God has good plans. So the first thing that we're going to do today is believe. The second is this, let us rejoice. Today, let us rejoice. Uh, as far as mysteries go, I was reading a really good mystery novel earlier this year, and I'm going to give it away to you. But the novel was written in 1934, so you've had your chance, all right? Uh, there's spoiler alert, but uh, Dorothy Sayers was a British uh, novelist, and she wrote a lot of mystery novels. And uh, her most famous one is The Nine Tailors, and uh, it, it's really good. If you're, inter if you're interested in a very specific subcategory of British life that is uh, Anglican church bells, there are a couple of sections that try to explain to you how Anglican church bells work and how they're different from Catholic church bells, and those, it can get bogged down in the story at that point. But suffice it to say, the protagonist of the story, Lord Peter Whimsey, a very British name, he could have appeared in Downton Abbey, I think, uh, he goes and shows up in this small British hamlet, and suddenly this thief that people were looking for, he had made his appearance known in town. Everybody knew he was a thief, everybody knew he was a vile person, and everybody knew he was there to steal something else, but before he can, he is found dead. And nobody knows who did it. And it's not at all apparent who did this. Well, it turns out by the end of the story, when the mystery is revealed... It's even better than you think it's going to be. This is the way a good mystery reveal is, right? It's not just, I knew it was that. By the end of this one, you're going to know what, where this is going, but it's even better than what you thought it was going to be. By the end of it, it's revealed that though he was trying to steal some things out of the church, somebody was coming in there, and so he accidentally got himself locked in the belfry just on Christmas Eve before they're about to start playing the bells for hours on Christmas Eve. And the thunder of these massive Anglican church bells, the rattling of the noise of it and him trapped immediately below it, kills him. In this terrible vision where there's no murderer, but it is the rejoicing and ringing of these bells, the terror of God himself. I still think you should go read this book. It's delightful. <laughs> The mystery revealed is even greater than you think it should be. And this is the way it is with Christ. Let us rejoice today because God's plan is not just revealed, but there are certain things about God that is revealed. I'll ask you now. You can go ahead and speak up this morning. Tell me a trait. One word answers only. What does this passage reveal to you about who God is? A Savior. Loving. Merciful. Forgiving, faithful, faithful. Just. just, awesome. How about some more? God is good. God is joyful. Did you not see the part where it talked about God's good pleasure? Christ 
Dying in our place is what pleases God. God is joyful over our salvation. It reveals that God is involved, always involved. Listen, whether you feel the presence of God near you or not, whether you believe the presence of God near you or not, God is highly involved in our lives. It reveals that God is a hero in the best sense of the word. It reveals that God is humble. If humility is a virtue, well, all virtues are characteristics of who God is. You may not think about this too often, but God is humble. Christ, who humbly takes on flesh and dies on a cross in our place, he who lowers himself beneath all of us is exalted above all. This reveals so much about God, and the reveal is so much greater than you would have ever thought it would be. Today, friends, come and believe, come and rejoice. And what else should you do today? Come and be baptized. This is what this Ethiopian official knows immediately he is supposed to do. He hears it, he believes it, he understands it, and he says, what's, what's keeping me from being baptized? The answer is nothing. He is not Jewish. Is that going to keep him from being baptized? No. This gospel is for him as well. He is a eunuch. Is that going to keep him from being baptized? No. The gospel is for him as well. He's from a faraway place. Should this keep him from hearing the gospel? No. It's for him as well. Let us believe. Let us rejoice. Friends who need to be baptized, come today and be baptized. We can have you baptized any Sunday that you like. What should we do today but ourselves go out like both Isaiah and like Philip and proclaim who Jesus Christ is? We're going to talk about Lottie Moon a lot this month. You've already heard the story of her this morning. She gave her whole life in China so that people could know and trust Christ, just like Philip goes to this Ethiopian so that he can know and hear Lottie Moon says this, Is not the festival season when families and friends exchange gifts in memory of the gift laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race? Is not this the most appropriate time to concentrate, uh, consecrate a portion from our abounding riches and scant poverty to send forth the good tidings of great joy to the earth? I talk about it a lot because I'd like all of our members, I'd like all of you to contribute something to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this year. You've got a couple of weeks, so go and pray about it and ask God what you ought to give. I love how what she says is this. Should we not consecrate a portion from abounding riches and from scant poverty? It doesn't matter what you give. God has all the resources he needs. But let us be a part of his good work. I think for all of us, just pray about it and put something in, but let us all faithfully give together for the Lord. God provides everything that he needs, and yet we get to be a part of it. And so this is a small way, but a good one, that we can help send out this good news to other people. What should we do, given that God is this good for us? Let us believe. Let us rejoice with great rejoicing. Come and be baptized. And let us ourselves allow other people to know the good news, that there is a God who is real, who cares about them, who has good plan for them, a God who forgives, 
and a God whose desire is to draw people into them so that they can live eternally. God bless you, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Father God, I thank you so much that you are so kind to us, and I thank you so much that you are so patient to us, and I thank you so much. You know what? I thank you so much for beautiful Christmas music that we can sing in rejoicing to you. As I pray in Jesus' name, amen.